podcast for women in film and television. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Whipped Austin podcast, co-presented by Whip US. I'm Kelly Coffey, and I am beyond excited to introduce today's guest. This native Texan is a writer, director, actress, and comedian. Having started her career at the iconic Esther's Folly Theater in Austin, Texas, and as part of the Upright Citizens Brigade in LA, her YouTube videos have racked up more than 13 million views, and she's appeared on comedy sites like Funny or Die, College Humor, and Cracked.com. Eventually, this University of Texas graduate landed a highly coveted role as a featured actress on the legendary soundstage of Saturday Night Live and later played Aziz Ansari's girlfriend, Rachel, on eight episodes of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Masters of None. She later went on to roles in movies like The Incredible Jessica James, Happy Anniversary, and Social Animals. She wrote, starred in, and made her directorial debut at the 2017 South by Southwest Festival with her comedic film, Mr. Roosevelt, about a comedian, a struggling comedian who returns home to Texas. You can currently hear her as the voice of Devon Attendee on CBS's all-access animated series, Star Trek Lower Deck. And I am very, very glad that she is here with us today. So please join me in welcoming our guest today, Noelle Wells. How are you, dear? Hi, I'm very well. Thank you. I'm very excited. (laughs) That's always a good thing. All right. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. All right. How... Did a young little girl from San Antonio named Noelle knew that showbiz was the life for her. Like, take us back there. Take us back to the to the beginning with you. I think I was a kid that basically grew up watching television and movies, and that was my point of contact for a better world. Mm-hmm. And I was always very rambunctious and like a class clown type and always perform. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) I mean, I, in kindergarten, I was um, given the class clown award. And I I remember in the yearbook, it was a picture of me and I'm like five and I have a blanket over my shoulders and I have a wooden block and I've drawn on my face and was like pretending to be an old woman. (laughs) Okay. And it was like class clown. I'm like, well, there you go. You sometimes you just are born exactly who you are. <laughs> but then um, I've always I was always a very creative kid. I spent a ton of time alone, and so I I was really left with my own thoughts. And in elementary school, I was really good at doing voices. Like I would watch cartoons and I could do the voices that people were doing in in cartoons. And I and I was so good that I was like, I'm just gonna do this when I grow up at some point because because I was so good I like truly could just do any I could just do any of it but I always as I got older and decided I was going to be like this actor um in (laughs) fact one of my email addresses was acting machine (laughs) like from like a very young age so um that's called that's called knowing your purpose (laughs) yeah yeah so I did community theater and My mom told me that I used to tell her that I was going to make big movies because that's what I called TV was movies and and movies were the big movies. Oh, okay. (laughs) That was, that was a good realization though. So I had all these, like all these missions, right? Like, and and at at some, you know, I think as children, everybody wants to do these things. And I think everybody who wants to do them probably has the capacity to do them. (laughs) (laughs) True. But I just happened to be a little rogue sort of person being like, no, 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 I'm actually going to do it. (laughs) Like, I'm just going to do it. Don't worry. (laughs) And um, I went to college for film. I, even then while I was in college, I wasn't admitting to myself um, 
you know, I, I knew it as a kid, but then at a certain point I forgot all this stuff. Right. Um, and as, then, as life grows, you know, does that to you. Yeah. And so I remember two things in college, like towards the very end of me being in college, I thought I want to be on Saturday night live and I want to be a film director <laughs> and I'm going to go to California and I'm going to start doing comedy. And I stood in front of one of my last classes because they were like, what are you going to do when you graduate? And I said, I basically said all those things. I didn't say out loud the Saturday Night Live one, but I said all that. And I was like, wow, I said that out loud. And then I moved to, Ca- moved to California <laughs> and then I did it. I did it all. <laughs> I mean, talk about manifesting, like I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then they like literally went in line. So like, that is amazing. You started out doing comedy at Esther's Follies in Austin after you went to the University of Texas here in Austin. And then you were later at the Upright Citizens Brigade in LA. So tell me about that. Like how you got at Esther's Follies? Because I, I, I'm i a native Austinite, so I've been there. Esther's Follies was looking for writers. They were saying like a, um, oh. a variety show, like an SNL style show, come in with like characters. And so I... I showed up and I did this audition and I, I did it with all these impressions. Like I auditioned with all these impressions and they're like, Oh, we don't have a spot for you now, but come back this summer. So, and I was in, it was a freshman in college and I was like, okay. So then I literally, I took them so literally, (laughs) I graduated from college. I arranged for me to stay in Austin. I like moved into somebody's house off of Craigslist. (laughs) And then I, I showed up and I was like, you guys told me to come back for the summer and here I am. <laughs> so they're like, okay, you can be an, you can be an intern. So oh, I, I started out as an intern with them and I, I feel like I worked there for two and a half years. Um, oh. And I maybe was always an intern. I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but basically I just did. I just like made myself very useful. You know, I did bit parts and then helped out with like, making costumes and building sets and I wasn't very good at the the writing portion of the show Um, but there there are other people that were better at that I was always coming up with stuff but it just didn't necessarily fit for the show and what I felt like was like if I could do this I could do Saturday Night Live (laughs) (laughs) exactly if you can do it I can do it or else it can't be done (laughs) yeah so so then I became I was like a magician's assistant oh that sounds fun (laughs) I did yeah so it was it was fun nice well how would you describe your comedy style um (laughs) loose (laughs) I um I quite honestly my sense of humor is um very observational and mm-hmm. it is, it is more character based. And I, I still haven't really been able to inhabit it that much, but it's more in like the language of people. So I'm really good at tuning into how people present their thoughts and, and, um, and how, you know, the perspective that they're taking and I'm really good at archetypes. So for well. me, Personally, I don't know if I'd ever have a sketch show at this point. Like I, I, my career, I'm sort of focusing on becoming more of like a film director. And um, I mean, I am a film director, right? But I guess what I'm saying is like, for me, the like the comedic side of me, while it's very much there, I I feel like I'm refining it to be more of a storyteller. Hmm. Is that putting you in front of the camera or behind the camera? It would be both, but I also would like to... Like I have a show in development right now that I would be in. Um, okay, let's hear but it. I'm not. I can't tell you. But, oh, okay. <laughs> but I can't tell you yet until it's actually happened. But what I'm saying is, is, like, I would still like to be in front of the camera. But 
the pressure for me with that is not as pressing for me because I, I'd much rather, you know, being an actress is like, it's still a misogynistic industry (laughs) and, (laughs) and I'm looking for, you know, and so my focus here is finding like good people to show myself with. And if it takes me making just a few more films and, and putting myself in front of the camera on my own or, or maybe even writing things for other people. I, I'm not sure yet, but um, I'm just not, I'm just not that stressed out is what I'm trying to say. Like I, I, I would just rather do things in a healthy way than in a, and, and in a way that like elevates things. Yeah. Maybe organic, an organic way. Yeah. Like keep it organic, keep it where everybody feels good about themselves and feels healthy and empowered. And right. um, yeah. Right on. Name your top five comedians. Oh, interesting. Um, I can tell you people that I really relate to comedically. I really relate to, uh, Steve Martin and Peter Sellers. Okay. And, you know, I find, I think he's very problematic and I actually don't even, uh, love his movies all that much, but I am very Charlie Chaplin-esque. Wow. so like I'm a clown I'm like a clown person and I can do like really strange like pantomime type sort of things that I've never nobody's ever taught me how to do it or anything I just know how to do it okay and so I think that those would be like people that I'm like um and that I relate to I haven't quite decided what feels right yet yeah so but I do think the Peter Sellers route works for me too because I like the movies that he's in like a lot so Anyway, we'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. It'll be so fun. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, just saying, like, I mean, if those if those people influence you, then, you know, that, that says a lot, you know, Charlie Chaplin, I, I rarely do I hear someone say that name. So, <laughs> like, as they were comedic influence. So, like, you took it no, way I'm back. Right. Especially not like a woman, especially not like a woman who's like. Yeah. <laughs> but I, was I, can't... I was like, that's not what I was expecting you to say, I'm being honest. <laughs> but one, the other thing, reason why I relate to Charlie Chaplin is because he was, a, he was sort of like a guy that did everything. He like obviously became like a one-man industry, but he also did the music for his movies and he released like a cello album. He, he was like a pretty intense, weird person. I, I do call him being eclectic. Um, you're, you were born in Texas. Do you, are you, are you in LA? Are you in New York? Where do you, where do you call I home live, now? I call, I, li- I call Los Angeles home. Ah, and, okay. you know, New York is also a type of home for me that I really, um, it's growing more and more into a home. I really, really love the city. Uh, it's just very, there's so many layers to it, but it's anyway. Yeah. So I guess New York as well. <laughs> if you're in uh, LA now, what's the most Hollywood thing about you? The most Hollywood thing about me is <laughs> I eat breakfast at a diner every single day. What? <laughs> you asked what the most Hollywood thing about me is, is I... I eat breakfast at a diner. And if it's not the same diner, it is like literally every single day of my life I eat at a diner. It helps me stay calm. I love the routine. It's my way of interacting with people. Um, I I do work and I write and I read. So that would be my most LA thing. Because I think when people hear that, they're like every day. And I'm like every day. Sometimes I'll spend like two hours just drinking coffee, and reading, writing, thinking, coming people up watching. with stuff, people watching, <laughs> you know, I don't watch people as much when I people watch, that would be me like taking a break to go to a coffee shop. <laughs> like, and right I haven't on. done that. I haven't done that in, in a while, especially since yeah. the p- pandemic. Right. But the other Hollywood thing about me is I really like shoes. 
Oh, that's like, I, I like shoes. I'm right here. Well, in Texas. then I guess I, I don't really think I'm very Hollywood. Then you still got you still got some Texan in you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that's funny. I, I'm trying to think like the most Hollywood thing about me. I don't really like to party that much. I uh, the most Hollywood <laughs> thing about me is that I um, am working in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I assume that when you were in that you lived in New York because you were on SNL for a while. So tell us how yeah. you got there. Like that's like every comedic actor's dream to like be there and have that experience. And and you know everyone has a little different experience coming off that show. So what was yours like, and how did you get there? My middle school friend told me I told her that I was going to be on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and I don't remember that. So it's kind of weird when people remember things about you that you they were like, did I really? And then you don't know if people are, it's like apocryphal if people are just saying that. But she's like, no, you used to say it all the time. Right. So I guess in my perception of how my reality has worked is that there are certain levels of a, of a destiny that I'm just going through the motions fulfilling. Right. But the, the active part of it for me was I decided I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live while I was still at UT my last year. And I had a, I had a job working as a motion graphics animator. Oh. And um. I had randomly done an audition for this casting director from California. I had already quit Esther's, but they let me audition. Like she came to Esther's Follies and I went and did some stuff for her. And then a year later, my last year in college, I get a call from this casting director and she's like, we're flying you out to screen test for a sketch comedy show. And I was like, okay (laughs) but I I have I have a final and she's like she was like well we'll figure it out so because I had finals and so they flew me to Los Angeles and I got an agent and then I went and then I didn't get the job and I went back yeah no but then I went back to Austin and my agent was like well if you put together a tape for Saturday Night Live we'll send it in. And so I just wrote all these characters, made this character real. My boss at this motion graphics company helped me edit it. He, or not edit it. He helped me film it. He like set up the lights. So he filmed, he set it up for me. And I made this like eight minute audition tape and I, I, I submitted it and obviously didn't hear anything. Yeah. And I decided to move to Los Angeles just because I had this, I was like, well, I already have an agent. It seems like things are already kind of in motion. Right. And when I got to LA, I uploaded the video of my impression character reel. That was like the point of view of this, like really spoiled um, sorority girl and, how t- <laughs> and like her being really tone deaf. Okay. And then doing all these, doing all these celebrity impressions. And I just did it to show some of my family and friends being like, look, I did this thing and I'm moving to LA and everybody was so supportive. Yeah. So I left it up and then that went viral. And, you know, back in the old days of YouTube viral was <laughs> like, it got like 200,000 views and I got a manager and within a year of me moving to LA, like to the day that I arrived in LA, I was in New York auditioning for Saturday Night Live. It was the same exact day. And are you serious? Wow. It was the same exact day that I rolled into Los Angeles. I was auditioning for the first time for Saturday Night Live and I auditioned and I knew I wasn't going to get it, but I also knew I would be back. And then two years later, I ended up auditioning again and I got it. And so that's, that's basically the story. My experience of it was I used to think that the show really needed me. I felt like they weren't talking about the things that I wanted to talk about. And I felt like specifically politically, it just felt very, I was like, why isn't anybody making like fun of 
the things that I want to make fun of. I, I like, I know that it's important. Maybe they just don't have somebody like me. So then I got there yeah. and then I realized it had nothing to do with the fact that people didn't want to talk about it. It was the, the gatekeepers at the show and what they thought was funny. And they were just like mm-hmm. old dudes who just didn't leave the show who were now in control of all these younger, very talented people. And every, I mean, look, I, I don't know how it is now, but I just remember I would sit at these table reads and, and people were so cruel. Like it was like the strangest oh. thing, thing to witness how nobody would laugh at each other's sketches unless you were like the cool person. Wow. It was like such a, it was such a click. And then I remember every week I would be so fascinated because so many good sketches would get written, like truly genius sketches, but they would pick like very middle of the road, safe things. And, mm-hmm. and not only that, it was basically, I was told like, it'd be just better if you just didn't do anything. Like it would be safer for you if you didn't write things. You're the cute girl. Oh. And I was told that multiple times, but that wasn't really who I was. And St- so is, is it stay in your lane? Is that what the implication was? I think people were trying to help me. I think okay, they were trying okay. to give me advice, but for me, to, to stay but for me, I was like, this is yeah, exactly. It, I mean, precisely. They think that they're when I try to describe, like, you know, I know a misogyny exists, but mm-hmm. I didn't realize like the place that I had always wanted to be would be this place that truly had no capacity to like. The problem is, is like you you need to nurture. Like, if you don't come in with a group of people that are all buddies, that wasn't the situation either. It was like everybody just immediately went into competition mode, and mm-hmm. I know from experience, like, you're not gonna get the best out of most people that way. Some people might thrive in a fearful environment and the exact opposite. Anytime that there's like fear running about and people are being unkind to each other, I like shrink and shrivel. And I was very lonely and, and I was very confused, but then they let me go. And they said, because they had too many women, which I thought was so funny because they Mm. had, they had, um, (laughs) like 13 guys and like seven women at the time. And so there was too many women, but there was so many many men. (laughs) I I think generally they just had too many cast members for sure. And I think it was like a really bizarre, it was just like a really hard time for me. So look, I, I'm happy that it happened because it was very interesting to see. And I got the experience of getting to witness people at the top of their game, the good, the bad and the ugly. And so it really did set the tone for what I would like want to create as a person. So, you know, the most famous, famous people in entertainment come through Saturday night live and you see the way that people treat people when they're famous. And some people are really cool and some people are monsters. And so (laughs) you, you, I learned that it doesn't matter how famous somebody is, like whether or not they're a good person, you're a good person or you're a person who's famous that's like wielding your power in like a way that's not appropriate. Sometimes you got to have what you don't want to know what you do want. And again, you know, you, you took an experience that, you know, that you had and you learned and it sounds like you've learned a lot of things from it. And it might have opened your eyes to a few things as to how maybe the world works in forms of misogyny or, you know, nepotism or things like that. But there was a lesson in it. And in the end, you made off really well because you sound like you still have all your sanity. People have asked me, like, did you wish it never happened? Or like, do you wish that you had stayed on? And I really embrace the idea that what's meant to happen is meant to happen. There were times where I was like, I would have much rather not have been through that because it was so, it was so heartbreaking. And also just so 
just to like um, paint just one more picture about why I wanted to be on the show. Mm-hmm. I grew up quite poor. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, for me, like I said, television was like this window into another reality. And like when we had the capacity to watch Saturday Night Live, it was some of the only times I ever saw my mother laugh. Oh, wow. And so we watched it together and laughed together. So there was a part of me that really wanted to be on that show to like get my mom to like make her proud of me. Cause I'd be like, yeah. look, you used to laugh and now I'm here. Like, you know, it was, yeah. it, was such a chi- it was so childish and so pure hearted and pure spirited. Like yes. why my intention of being there <laughs> and my talent. The, the other thing is, is like, I didn't really get to utilize my talent very well, but my talent was like, I'm like, was so right for what the show is. I was just so afraid while I was there and I mm. did not take very well to people not being kind to me. So <laughs> what was, what was your favorite skit? You do a lot of impersonations. So like, what was, what, who were the people you impersonate? Were they a good sport about it? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't really get a chance to do that many impressions on the show, but yeah. the, the first two episodes of the, um, the season went really well for me specifically. Like, I just was like, cool, I'm getting to do all the things I'm good at. And then, and then I think that was part of the reason why people sort of turned on me is because it was like, uh, I was having, I was having fun. And then they're like, no, like, how, how dare you? My, it was my interpretation, <laughs> but maybe also, maybe I should have just like, if I had better boundaries, I would have just been like, continued doing the good. Like, that's the other thing. Like if I had better boundaries, I would have just not let any of it get to me. But, um, but yeah, so I think I did this, I did a girl's sketch where I impersonated Lena Dunham. I'm not sure. I never talked to her about it. I don't know how she felt about it. Um, I think she enjoyed having her show, you know, had like, yeah, spoofed on Saturday Night Live, but, but it's also weird when like, I understand why it would be kind of confusing to have people do impressions of you, especially <laughs> the kind of impressions that I'm really good at. Like I told you that I'm very good at like getting at the heart of what a person's all about. Yeah, <laughs> You have to be like a very above it sort of person to be able to really enjoy that. Right. Right. I've also learned through time, like, like a level of diplomacy about, you know, sometimes there's like a version of something that's mean and sometimes a thing that's like elevating and funny. And (laughs) I I did like an impression of another actress once. And I found out from people that she thought it was really mean. And I'm so, I was so glad that I found that out because I was like, wow, I just, I just thought she was like famous. Right. But then now that I'm sort of in a position that she was in, when I started doing, I was like, Oh my God, she's just a person. (laughs) I mean, I hope she wasn't too pissed off. Well, I will say I did connect with her like years later and I was like, Hey, I did apologize. I was like, I'm sorry. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, once I realized I was like, Oh my God, this sucks. Like this sucks of me. I would never, I truly like when I tell you, like, I don't want to hurt people. Like I really don't want to hurt people. And so um, I was like, Oh my God. Once it hit me, it was like the easiest thing in the world to apologize. And she was so gracious. She was like, I understand where it was coming from. And it was a long time ago. And and she's like, I'm busy. But she was like, thank you for reaching out. I'm busy. Uh, Like, no, really funny actually now that I say it but like she said it in the nicest way she's like (laughs) she's like thank you but please don't keep contact right I appreciate that I gotta go (laughs) I mean respect a lady with good boundaries to go back and apologize to someone is is pretty big of you a lot of people never do that 
these are lessons that I'm learning because I assume that everybody, I'm like, everybody wants to write their wrongs, but then. No, they're um, not. <laughs> yeah, I, I really did have this epiphany, like literally this week that some people just are not going to change. And not only that, that they will never say they're sorry because they will never admit they've done something wrong. <laughs> and, and you have to be okay with that. You know, oh my. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's the, the trick. new phase. That's yeah, the that's trick. the new phase. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about Mr. Roosevelt. And for the listeners who are who, who don't know, Mr. Roosevelt was about a 20-something comedian who comes back to her college town of Austin after she's struggling. So uh, who, who, was that, who was that about? <laughs> Truly have no idea. No? Just not, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I don't think it's very convincing, but people, I, I would be like, it's not me, I promise. <laughs> but, um, it really isn't. I wrote the, this is what I'm, when I say like, no. <laughs> I like to do characters. Yeah. So for me, she was this character that was an amalgamation of a little bit of me. Like there's a part of me that super was, especially at the time felt super self-pitying. Right. And I really, I really wanted to like dive into like that level of somebody who feels so sorry for themselves, but they kind of suck. But <laughs> she was constructed off like all these weird guys that I had met in comedy. <laughs> Who were, oh, like, so, so yeah. I, and, I could see that. Cause I, I imagine you would come across a lot more males in the industry than you would women. So, and I probably spent more time around them. So that would make sense that they would come into a, a fruition of one character. Yeah. And especially when she like sort of is mean to other people. Like I had just experienced so many weird men, just like actually being mean, like making people cry sort of mean was like funny or like some, some kind of power move that I would, I would always be like, what is happening? So that, that character was based on a few guys (laughs) and a little bit of me. Interesting. Interesting. Like in, in honesty, like her perspective, even on women was sort of competitive and male anyway. So yeah, that that was, that was Emily. Yeah. <laughs> what made you? I mean, so what made you tell that story? Like, what 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 was going on in your life where like this needs to be said, and I'm going to see it all the way to South by Southwest. I started writing that that character specifically in college, the like messy millennial type, because I, I also <laughs> witnessed, you know, like there were people like her around me, like very entitled. Even when I was in mm. college, when I mentioned that, I was like, I didn't grow up with like a lot of support. And I went to college on a scholarship. And a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> like, oh, wow. that was how I got to go to colleges because I got a scholarship, which is super cool. Yeah. <laughs> shout, out oh, to, yeah. <laughs> shout out to the Terry, Terry Foundation. Oh, nice. um, yeah. So um, thank you, Terry Foundation. But then I put it away. This girl that like comes back to Austin and it was a totally different story with a very different angle. And then I went through all the other things that I went through to make her a comedian. Cause at the time she was not a comedian. I don't remember what she was. Um, so yeah, I had to go through like life experiences. And then I wrote a draft of the movie and it was just like years and years of ideas. And it was a lot of like millennial woes and stuff about the gig economy and the way that the culture was changing by people like tech people. And then I turned it in and people were like, this is the writing's good, but the story is like all over the place. You really need to have like one event to center it all. Mm-hmm. And then like a year later, I was like crying in my apartment mm-hmm. and my cat came and just sat in front of me and looked, looked at me like you were so self-centered. You were so, 
you're so self-centered. You're not looking at anybody around you and you, you don't even see me. And, it, and basically he was like, do you remember when you left me to come to LA, <laughs> which is what I had done at the time, like, you know, years ago. And I was like, Oh my God, that's, what's going to like, Oh my God, that's what the idea for the movie is going to be. I'll kind of write it like a garden state format, which was, you know, you're coming back cause somebody died, but it's right. actually your, your cat. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> So it was supposed, you know, oh there's like goodness. a level of it where it was sort of, it's not that it's a spoof, but it was definitely like, I was making fun of indie films within my indie <laughs> film while hoping to try to get to like a bigger aspirational idea, like, you know, a bigger, I wanted it to feel like a movie, even if it was the lowest budget film that it could possibly be. Cause I was just planning on shooting it by myself. Wow. And I ultimately, um, a production company came on board called Beachside and they, they funded it, but it was still like a micro budget indie film and it did really well. It did well at South by people I, thought it was funny and when it's on Netflix. <laughs> that, that's so vindicating when you hear people compliment your work when it's all said and done, like your blood, sweat and tears meant something <laughs> and they went it somewhere. Was so <laughs> nice to hear people laughing at the things yes. that I was hoping that they would laugh at, especially <laughs> in an, a theater and an audience like, the the first screening of it it was ridiculous how everything i wanted to be funny people laughed at i couldn't believe it Nailed i was like it. i was it. like every single thing like it was an uproarious screening <laughs> experience i it was like it's probably the best feeling in the world to be like i did it yes they laughed <laughs> especially because people while you're filming it and because i was a first time film director like people i don't think understood what was happening <laughs> I don't really think people understood that I was funny or that like I was doing something. And so that the fact that it actually worked, I was like, okay, so I'm not crazy. I know what I'm doing. I'm supposed to be doing things like this. There you go. And that's exactly what it comes to when you hear that, like, all right, yeah, I made the right decision. We did the right thing. We have to go back to this cat talking to you. He didn't like, actually I'm talk like, did to you. Really, I'm like, did you really think I was not going to circle back around to this oh, cat? Like, what is the cat scene? His name is Mr. his name is Mr. Feeney. So pretty one to one, like with the name in the movie. He's my old man. He's my pal. He's might be your guardian angel and your soulmate. You don't know. He right just spoke to yeah. you and pushed you in the right direction, you know? So you need to thank Mr. Feeney. It's true. I gotta tell you the most Hollywood thing about me. We just found mm -hmm. it. I get the fanciest food for my cat. <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> I don't have many thing, many people to like indulge on in my life. Like I don't have kids. Mm -hmm. I don't think twice about just being like, you get the fancy food. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he deserves it. Does he inspire you to do your animated voices too? Cause I mean, you've done a lot of animated work recently. I've noticed. So like, does he talk this, do you guys like practice on each other when you do your animated work? <laughs> no. No, there's no practicing. It's so funny because I, the second I start thinking about how to do a voice for a character, I, I can't do it. Hmm. <laughs> so there's no practicing. I just have to show up and do it. Oh, okay. You're, you're like, you're like Jay-Z. He doesn't write his raps down. He just goes in there and spits them. So you're just like, oh I, yeah, I, I spit voices. I, yeah. You're like the Jay-Z of voices. You just go in there. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what? That is so true. Like, I, I would like to really not get into my head about how I operate. Cause the second people start asking me like, well, how come or why I start not being able to do it. Maybe mm -hmm. I just can do it. Just when I think I'm like, okay, she's an actress, she's producer, she's director. And then I go and find out that you have an album too. And I say that it gave me a, 
uh, and maybe this wasn't what you were going for, but it gave me like a Lisa Loeb vibe. (laughs) (laughs) I was not going for anything, but to like, just make the song sound really good. And I wrote all these songs and I just wanted to do them justice because I felt like the writing was really good. And I feel like it's the most mature thing I've done. I love Lisa Loeb. (laughs) Um, She was one of the like first impressions I ever did. So that's very nice. But the way that I think of myself is more like rock and roll. (laughs) So it doesn't really come off on this album because it was very confessional feeling, but yeah say I wanted to be like a female musician to be compared to like I would love to be like Nancy Sinatra like a country rock right. with like a like a, <laughs> an edge of darkness and a little bit of sass these boots are made for walking <laughs> precisely yeah I have the song burn it all down that has like a Nancy Sinatra vibe and if I when when I get to perform it live like that would be I would like to lean into that more and you know kind of have like the glam the glam country Make it yours. Like that could be a whole your genre again. Bring that back. So would you consider yourself more of a musician? Or if I was to ask you, hi Noel, what do I do? You'd say I'm a musician, a director, a writer, comedian, an actress. Like which role do you feel describes you best? Like which which label would you give yourself or in all of them in what order? I've never really liked telling people what I do. Like I I've always just sort of avoided the question because I I don't really like being put into a, a box. Mm-hmm. But I've come to the idea that, you know, you know, it helps people to know what you do. <laughs> so, maybe, so maybe you There's should figure that. out a way to, to be able to talk about it rather than being this weird person who's like, I'm not going to tell you what I do. Like, what is that? <laughs> so I've been trying to get comfortable calling myself an artist because I think that that's accurate. There you go. Below that, I think the two other ones that I really relate to, I would consider myself a director and an entertainer. Okay. So... I think of myself as an entertainer because an entertainer can, can cross over into various formats. And like, I would love to do plays and I would love to do, like, I love performing live music. I love acting. I don't really like being controlled by uh, systems though. And so I will always just sort of (laughs) do things on my own terms when it comes to entertainment. Like, it would be cool to do, be like a share, like have like a variety show. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, okay. That excites me, right? It, like, would, that's it, would, cool. it would be cool to be share, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's yep. your next project? What, what, what you were talking about, you were doing a project early, but you can't say because it's in development, but what, like, what other stuff do you have going on? I think that that's my main thing. And then I have a, a movie that I have a draft of and I have the solutions to the problems in the, the draft, but you know, I think, I think writing is where all the power is because writing is the hard part and writing's the like language to be able to get people to embark on your adventure. (laughs) But I, I procrastinate. Let's just be real. So it's like, I'll do everything, but do that. And it's so hard, but I think if I could crack my procrastination around writing, I might be like megalomaniacal. (laughs) (laughs) What advice do you have for any actresses or comedians that are coming out now? Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, you know, you see these these uh, kids using YouTube and Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and Big Bok and whatnot. And they're going <laughs> on and they're like creating these careers. But like, so like, what advice do you have someone who like really wants to like make it, you know? And, and maybe that's different than the way you went about it. But, you know, what, what would your advice be? Yeah, I think it's different in the sense I'm not sure like what making it means to younger people. because sometimes for some people it is to you know be famous on TikTok or to be like to have a successful YouTube so if you want to make it 
in the way that I have, or you, you would like to, you know, join the industry in like a higher profile way specifically, my biggest advice would be to really learn how to trust your instincts. And that goes for even situations that don't feel right and don't value you. Because if you get caught up in those webs, those will derail you from your original mission and will complicate the genuineness of why you're wanting to do what you're doing. Mm. And so as long as you stay in touch with your intuition and, oh, this is the other thing. I really just think women should practice just walking away from things. I, I think we are, we are in these battles with the, these patterns other people have, and we're, we're trying to get them to change. And we're trying to tell them mm. that they could be better. My big encouragement would be like, we, we should go make something better. Don't waste your time arguing with people that aren't on the same page about how we want to do things. That is super sound advice. <laughs> that is super sound advice. And it sounds like you're saying like, know thyself and listen to your instincts would be some good advice. Cause I, I could see that you'll, you'll get sucked into some shenanigans. I could see that easily happening. It is absolutely all it is. is all it is is shenanigans. <laughs> it might feel like the, the like most important thing in the world, but it is quite literally shenanigans. What a perfect word. I will, I will also say one more thing that I really, really want to impress on people. And this is why I like, when I say I want to do rock and roll, this is what I mean. I truly think having the courage, like cultivating courage, courage to do the right thing and not to just be on the internet and say, and be upset about things, but courage to like investigate or courage to apply yourself or courage to do things that don't have an immediate return that, cause that takes courage. That takes like a level of bravery. Yes. 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 It it takes courage to stand up for yourself. Yeah. And I think nobody ever taught me how to do that. It is, it is maybe of, if we're going to talk about astrology, that is something that I think I do think that's <laughs> no, the really. thing that I've always had is I've always been very brave and I wish more women, like, I'm just like, let's all, I like, I just love when women come out of their shell. Like I love seeing them take swings. Like I love when like women are grabbing their life by the, the horns. Balls. <laughs> the balls. <I> was- <laughs> You got it. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right about that. But the thing is that you saying that right now, somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to hear yeah. that. And that's- and, Don't and, back and, down. Yes, yes, yes. And you saying that might save somebody from a whole lot of trouble down the line. So sometimes, you know, you have to pave the way for the generations behind you. I hope yeah. so. I hope that's what I get to, I hope I can continue paving something. You know, I need to get <laughs> the yellow brick road. I don't know something. We're gonna, we're gonna yes, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, let's just say if you hear about my show and it comes out, just revisit this moment. Okay. I'm, I'm so going <laughs> to go back and check on it. like, Oh, there it is. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, um, all right, let me ask you this. If there was a movie made about your life, who would play you? Oh, great question. Well, okay. Let me think. <laughs> would I be me now or me uh, when I'm whenever, grown up? Whenever. Okay. So there's this actress I really, really love who is incredibly talented. Um, her name is Abby Quinn. Okay. And she would probably be great. <laughs> really? To play me. Yes. But um, we'll have to have me do some more interesting things for her. But like, say it's the end of my life, but I can cast somebody from here and now, or I can cast somebody from any point in history, right? Uh, I, okay. 
Hmm. Okay. Let me think of people that I love, like, especially women. Let me think. Um, <laughs> well, I also like the idea of like gender bending and like, and, mm-hmm. uh, w- like it doesn't have to conform to it. Oh, I feel like I haven't done enough yet. So let's like, I, I don't know yet, but Abby Quinn would be great to play. I'm, me I'm looking at, I'm movie. looking at Abby Quinn and you do resemble. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm and she's like, oh, okay. I know her. <laughs> she's so talented. And so, so like, she, you should look at her singing. She's like so incredible mm-hmm. as a singer. So it sounds like your movie's going to be a musical or <laughs> at some point, you know, I would love to do something like that. So we'll see. <laughs> all right. All right. So it's going to be Abby Quinn, the Noel, yes! the Noel Wells story starring Abby Quinn. <laughs> the musical very funny i i hope she if she ever hears this is like abby don't worry i'm not stalking you or anything i just love you so much nice well where do you see yourself in 10 years then wow what okay oh my gosh mogul there it is there it is why not let's just say it oh precisely like Mm -hmm. exactly she's she's a goal She's a total goal, yeah. but mogul, just mogul. That's, that's, you know what? That is such a clean answer. Drop the mic. Boom. Drop it. <laughs> well, where can we find you on social media? Where are you going to be next after this pandemic ends? You can find me on my Instagram, which is pretty much the only social media I actively engage at. And it is at mm-hmm. Noelle Wells. So N-O-E-L-W-E-L-L-S. That's it. I, and I, I'm posting on it less and less. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll keep it. Let's figure it out. And when will we hear about this, this potential next film you have in development? Cause I see it coming. Well, it's coming. It's coming. I guess I just, I mean, probably after this talk, I'll have to like, really, I'm going to go investigate that. There you that go. thing I said about writing and procrastinating <laughs> and maybe I'll have a fear about being powerful or something. We'll yeah, figure it out. You know, that, that, that is a real thing. That is a real thing. Fear of success sometimes is a real thing. Yeah. But, but you know what? I, what they say, what, what's the word, you know, acknowledgement is the first step. <laughs> so if you yeah. acknowledge that might be a thing for you, then that's fine. But I think Mr. Feeney is going to come talk to you. Oh, <laughs> I have a nice little powwow with him. I'll let you know what he says. I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm super looking forward to hearing about this film. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. It, it, this has been thank a lot of you. fun. Thank you. <laughs> and, I had and so much fun. Y'all go out and check out her album. It's so nice. Even catch it. Where, where can they find it? It's just on Spotify, but also I, I pressed a record and it's a limited pressing of it. And I only have a, I think I have a hundred left out of a, a oh, thousand. So you should sign if, them. And yeah. Yeah. If anybody, it. if you buy it and you ask me to sign it, I'll, um, I hand package it. I have all these goodies I made for it. I will go to my po- my local post office and put it in the mailbox just for you. Well, thank you. And, and everybody out there, go buy it. That's that's just, just to imagine her walking there for you, it should be enough to buy the album alone. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been a totally awesome conversation. And thank you all for everybody who joined us out there too, for listening to us and, and having a good time here on the With Austin podcast. I'm Kelly Coffey, and uh, this is the With Austin podcast, co-presented by With US. And thank you for listening to us. And we'll see you here on the next episode. Movie reviews. Hey y'all, today I'm going to tell you about one of my favorite underrated movies ever. It's called Waves. It's an A24 masterpiece and it came out in 2019. Waves traces the journey of a suburban family led by a well-intentioned but domineering father 
played by Sterling K. Brown, as they navigate love, forgiveness, and coming together in the aftermaths of a loss. So here's the thing. This movie is basically two films in one. The film stars a bunch of A-list actors, which I love them, but that's not really what I'm here to talk to you about today. One of the things I really love is the cinematography. Drew Daniels used incredible and unique camera movements such as cutting out the roof of a car and having the camera film the inside slowly to get every character's reaction, and it was just genius. We start out in Tyler's part, played by Kelvin Harrison Jr., in full screen. Then as the story goes on, in the first part, we go to widescreen, then smaller, then smaller until the twist. Then after the twist, we go into the second part of the film, which is Emily's side, played by Taylor Russell. It goes from small to full screen. I thought that was really cool because as the screen gets smaller, the story intensifies. And then in the second part, the story is really intense. And then it kind of mellows out as it gets to full screen. I've never seen anything like it. Trent Reznor was the composer of this film. And you already know that if he's involved, it's going to be a great soundtrack. And I think he did it perfectly because a lot of the songs that play in Tyler's part are angry and loud and rock and like Kanye West. Whereas in Emily's part, a lot of the music is kind of mellow and somber because they're two very different characters. He definitely deserves a round of applause for portraying these characters so well through music. Another thing is this film has an incredible script. It was written, directed, and edited by Trey Edward Schultz. Each character goes through their own immense trauma, and it's sad to say, but they really do it beautifully. I thought I loved these actors before, but after this film, I will see absolutely anything that they are ever in, ever. Um, Also, Margot Russ' vision for the film was magnificent. She's the art director, and she portrayed the past and present through color so well. Like I said earlier, Tyler is more like blues and reds and blacks and just dark colors, whereas Emily is white and cream and maybe pinks and just some like lighter, maybe pastels. And Margot did a great job showing them through that. Waves is definitely on my top 10 favorite films I've ever seen ever in my life ever. And I try to show it to as many people as possible. And I'm really, really happy that I get to share this film with you all. I hope you enjoy it. You can find Waves on Hulu. There you go. Have a great day. This episode of the Wift Austin podcast was produced by Kelly Coffey and Chantel James. Our editors are Shannon Steffen and Valerie Torres. Summer Hart is our movie review critic. You can find us on the web at wiftaustin.com and on social media at Wift Austin. Thanks for listening, everybody.